0: Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art, where we bring you a new story about your world in every episode. Today's guest is Jonathan Dromgold. He's an activist who's been empowering the Latino community for years, turning out the vote, and encouraging Hispanics to run for office. Well, the next Latino candidate he'll be supporting is his own campaign in Northern Virginia, Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit show.com Being an immigrant in America places a heavy burden on that individual who is both trying to contribute to society while going up against so many stereotypes. A whole right-wing media industry has been built around the foundation of creating otherness in america creating an image of second-class citizens of people who emigrate to the united states for a better way of life but let's get real immigrants and children of immigrants are patriotic and have a profound work ethic that have benefited our communities new americans are not only providing skilled labor innovation in science and business and an abundance of art and culture, but they are also proudly becoming citizens, and most importantly, they are participating in higher numbers when it comes to voting among communities of color. In 2016, Hispanic and Asian foreign-born citizens had a higher voter turnout than their U.S.-born counterparts. 53% of eligible Hispanic naturalized citizens voted as compared to just 46% of U.S.-born Hispanics, according to a peer research study. Northern Virginia resident Jonathan Dromgull has worked hard in his community to turn out the Latino progressive vote in the Commonwealth. These very individuals, naturalized U.S. citizens and U.S. born Latinos, are the folks he's relied upon to build a coalition of voters that has helped swing Virginia into competitive territory. In the last presidential elections, Virginia voted for Obama twice, Clinton, and Biden. This coalition of voters that Jonathan has helped maintain through his work with Latino organizations and the Democratic Party have also managed to elect Latinos into local and state offices. Jonathan knows and understands his immigrant community because he's had a similar journey. Born in Guadalajara, Mexico, Jonathan's family immigrated to the United States in search of opportunity. He is the proud product of teenage parents, the U.S. public education system, a strong work ethic, and resilient nature. Jonathan took steps to achieve his American dream by becoming a first-generation double graduate of Georgetown University School of Foreign Service and later the McCourt School of Public Policy. He has worked alongside and advised community leaders, policymakers, governors, elected officials and even the White House, and now the very community in Arlington, Virginia, that he has helped mobilize so they could flex their political muscle for more representation is calling on him to run. Jonathan answered that call with a resounding yes. I want to welcome to the show Jonathan Dromgoole who, after many years of organizing campaigns and helping others get elected to office, has finally decided to put his name on the ballot this November. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jesse. Thank
1: you so much for having me here. Really excited to have this conversation with you. So growing up, what prepared you for a life in politics? Yeah, so I don't think there's anything that can actually prepare you for a life in politics. One, I didn't grow up thinking this was an opportunity. I'm originally from Guadalajara, Mexico. I immigrated to Austin, Texas, grew up there, did my formal education. Neither one of my parents finished high school. So I was the first one to go through that process and understand what it was like to get a high school degree. Um, And in that time, you know, I had a lot of different career kind of goals or where I wanted to go. At some point in my life, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Then for the longest time, I wanted to be a chef, and I was actually pretty much headed in that direction, um, with conversations with with my mom. To be honest, she influenced me. She's like, "Do something better with you know your brain." I'd spend a lot of time focused on academics as a gay kid in the closet back in Texas does, um, and so I was like, "Okay, I'm focused on academics. How do I use this now?" Um, I did a lot of Model UN in high school and really loved that experience, loved the opportunity to talk about issues on a global scale. So again, just simply Googled, what are the best schools for international affairs without knowing what the college admissions process was like or anything of that nature. Ended up applying very boldly to Georgetown University without knowing anything about the university. I didn't know who <laughs> Madeline Albright was at the time. Um, I was fortunate enough to be the first in my family to go to college um, and actually have Madeline Albright be my professor my senior wow. year. Wow, what and an honor. I- it was an incredible opportunity to have her and learn from her and you know, really understand not only was she a you know, tremendously qualified states person, but also just a very confident individual and a fellow immigrant who knew what it was like to call the United States home. Um, graduated from Georgetown and then went back to, very fortunately to Georgetown to the McCourt School of Public Policy to get a public policy degree there. Um, that was kind of my pivot into the policy space and knowing that I wanted to use my skills to help my, you know, the United States, which is now my home, um, in order to better have those relations with other nations, but also to to, you know, solve some of the issues we were having here. So it wasn't really, you know, a pa- clear pathway to politics. Um, it was just this desire to serve people and really be a public servant, and find creative solutions to some of the problems that you know we're facing as a nation, but also that we're facing as a community and as neighbors. You really dove delved
0: into this role so much, you know, academics, working in the community, it kind of prepared you and made you into this well-rounded individual that I've worked with in the past. We've served on committees together and you're such a bright individual. And last, uh, before the pandemic, no, it was during the pandemic, you released a book, you authored, you found time Mm -hmm. in your busy schedule. Because name all the committees that you're on right now, because you're not just
1: an individual that's just decided to run. You're involved with how many committees? Yeah, I'm involved with committees at the national level, the state level here in Virginia, um, several several statewide, and several at the local level here in Arlington, which is my home now, Um, in addition to having a a full-time job, a husband, and two dogs. Exactly. Exactly. yeah, somehow found a little bit of time during the pandemic at the start of it when everyone was making bread. And I was like, oh, maybe I can write a book. and wrote a book. And I was so proud of you
0: when you did that. Because, I mean, I'm proud of you, Jonathan, because you actually served on a LGBTQ commission at the governor's, you know, appointed by the governor of Virginia, the past one. Not the current one, but the past one. Um, And I thought that was just so amazing that a gay Latino, was able to occupy space in this important committee and you wrote this wonderful book out to lead you beautifully stated that your family wasn't afraid of you being gay but they were afraid of the opportunities that would close for you once you were out so they had no problem with you being yourself they were just worried about you because they already saw that you were gonna be successful in life and they didn't want these opportunities to go away by you being yourself.
1: How how was it growing up in a very supportive family? Yeah, so I don't know if they envisioned me being successful, I think they envisioned me being bold enough to chase something down until I got a yes or a no out of something, <laughs> Um, and just being very determined to follow a path until until the end and to see whether or not, where that path was going to lead. Um, I'm tremendously grateful to have a very supportive family. You know, as I mentioned, we're we're originally from Mexico, grew up in Texas, two cultures and environments that aren't historically the most supportive for LGBTQ communities. And when I came out to, well, when I came out to my mother, it was via FaceTime and a text message. At the same time, I quickly texted her while seeing her reaction. Then I said, hey, I have to leave. Um, And I was in, in college at the time. Um, Then I went back home for the holidays, for the winter holidays, and, you know, had a very um, straightforward conversation with my father about it. I was very afraid, to be honest, of what that conversation could look like, Um, and I was very shocked in a very positive way that my father's response was, you know, I love you, I support you, I am just truly afraid of what doors may close for you and, and, and your safety at the end of the day. Um, by you coming out and being public about it in this way. Again, they knew I was very ambitious and determined to to live my life into the fullest. So they knew this was going to be a part of my identity that I wasn't going to hide. Um, But, you know, ever since then, my parents, my parents, my siblings, everybody in my family has been really supportive of of me and kind of the career trajectory that I've taken on afterwards. Um, I have a niece now and she has her little pride shirt. She has her little equality shirt. And that's my sister already having those conversations with her and instilling the, the values of acceptance and equality in my niece at the young age of two. Um, and so it's great to see that in my family. However, I'm not you know, ignorant to the fact there's so many of us in the LGBTQ community that don't have that opportunity, that don't have to come out. I am very privileged and and I completely recognize that fact. Um, And it's something that has given me, you know, to be honest, one less thing to worry about of how my family was going to look at me, what they were going to think about me. So, you know, very, very fortunate to have the support of my family, also the support of my in-laws, um, my my husband's family has been very supportive of the both of us so i know i'm kind of a a strange uh, situation sometimes with how this worked out but i'm, I'm very fortunate in that. Sense. i just wish every
0: gay kid every lgbtq identifying individual had it this way imagine so many success stories that could be in this united states if we just allowed acceptance into our families i mean you're gonna you're gonna you're one of the most um, interesting individuals I've met in a long time. You're going to go places. And I just wish that every child had that opportunity to grow up, knowing that they're going to be loved no matter what. And yeah. I, have, um, I just wish parents would just be ready for this. And
1: be, ready something- for the,
0: be ready for the moment when your kid decides to open up to you and support your kid like you've always supported them.
1: And that's something that I tried to reinforce throughout the book, that even the negative aspects of coming out, even the what truly ends up being a lot of the fear that we have in coming out, um, builds on our ability to be tremendously resilient. Uh, as LGBTQ individuals, we're met with a lot of no's, we're met with a lot of opposition, we're met with a lot of situations that really put our lives in danger. You know, Full stop, there are moments in our life when we are just in danger. Um, whether it's here or, or abroad or, you know, in, in a multitude of spaces, but it is at the same time, the, the quote of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? And gives you that yeah. sense of resiliency and gives you that ability to hear a no or hear a negative comment, internalize it, take it in for a moment, but then move on past that and say, I'm going to continue down this pathway to achieve whatever goal I'm, I'm set for
0: like I mentioned, you wear many hats, organizing the Latino community in the swing state of Virginia. What issues on the local level spurred you to run for office?
1: Yeah, so it was. I've, I've worn many hats in this space, um, and most notably, I'm always, I've always been behind the scenes um, with the organizations that I'm a part of, both partisan and nonpartisan organizations. My entire mission behind that has been: let's empower. Latinos, let's empower candidates of color to be able to pursue a pathway towards public service. Um, Sometimes that's also providing resources to Latinos, especially around during the pandemic, about how to get vaccines, how to get counted for the census and how to make sure their children are meeting the needs. I I wanna say thank you very much because
0: during the pandemic when we're all stuck at home, I just felt the need to, it was an election year and I needed people to get registered. I reached out to you and you provided us a wonderful space in front of a Marqueta in Northern Virginia. Uh, uh, And we were there registering uh, voters and promoting the census. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, it's just great to have someone connected to the community. You knew the owner, they gave us the space. It was a wonderful little market right in the middle of the Latino community, and we were there, and I loved how you were engaging with people, because there was people that were afraid to go vote, yeah. not because of the pandemic, but because there'd be um, people with opposite opinions showing up with guns, you know, it's that type of mentality that were that was being faced at the time, and you said, you have every right to go vote, and here are the places where you can vote safely. And you reassured these people, these Latinos that were like unsure about even participating in the election. So I've seen it with my own eyes how you are empowering
1: the community in Northern Virginia. I love that about you. And it's, it's those issues. So that empowerment, that feeling that you're being heard is one of the, the issues that spurred this run. I was having these conversations while working with candidates, like I mentioned, behind the scenes. And when I was in South Arlington, which is a predominantly Latino community, predominantly communities of color, um, conversations such as, I wish we had streetlights that worked. I wish we had you know roads that were safe. That way, when my kid was coming home from school, I knew that they were going to make it here. And one of the conversations that started to happen was, I wish that our county government was more representative of our community, that we had someone who shared a similar background, who shared a similar story, and who, you know, understood how to translate policy, not just quite literally translate it, but be able to share it with an aspect of empathy and say, hey, what, what do we need to build on to understand what this issue is and how it might impact you? And it was having those conversations and then as I typically do, trying to recruit a candidate um, to go forward in that direction, that then I ultimately was met with a lot of folks saying, I'm not ready right now, or you know, my job won't let me. And then I did the metaphorical look in the mirror and said, you know, what if what if I did this? What if I stood up um and, and took on this challenge to try to represent not just the community of South Arlington, but really all of Arlington and making sure that all, you know. Groups had a voice on the county board, and that we were pushing forward community driven policies. So it was, you know, just even the smallest local issues, such as those street lights, that inspired me at that moment and said, okay, you know, let's, let's go forward and do this. So the position you're running for? So the position that I'm running for is um, Arlington County Board. So it's the equivalent of city council in most places, but Arlington is the smallest county in the nation. Um, and so, therefore, we don't have a city within our boundaries of 26 square miles. So it's the county board. And uh, I wanted to know, what is the current impact
0: of Latinos? Because when you think of Virginia, you're still thinking of the old South. Yeah. But
1: Northern Virginia, that's a whole different story. How many Latinos are we talking? Yeah. So you'd actually be surprised. So across the Commonwealth, we're now 11% of the population. 11%. 11%. Oh 11%. God, we are everywhere. So we've hit double digits and we're everywhere. Yes, concentrated up here in Northern Virginia. We're also in in the capital of Richmond, but we're also very visible in Roanoke, which is um, further south in Virginia, and then by the Virginia Beach area. So we're really all across the Commonwealth at this point. And what we've noticed that's extremely interesting is that most of the elections um, two years ago were lost or, or changed parties by less than 6% of the vote. And when you look at 11% of the population is Latino, if we engage the population there that votes, this could really be a turning point for a lot of elections, and a lot of the progressive movements that we're trying to push forward here across Virginia. And so engaging with Latinos is going to be critical. Um, and at the same time, understanding that Latino issues are Virginia issues, they are American issues. so they translate and transcend all sorts of boundaries and making sure that we're engaging with Latinos early and often is going to be critical, not just in my race, but a race going forward, you know, even up with the presidential election coming up. Now on the LGBTQ side,
0: you work in Washington, DC, your day job Monday through Friday is working with the LGBTQ Victory Institute as a senior manager of its president presidential appointment project. Very exciting, very exciting job and a very exciting title. Uh, you basically get to hand pick the folks that are gonna work for the president as
1: appointees. What what has that experience and experience been like? Yeah, it's it's been an incredible experience having the opportunity to return to the LGBTQ Victory Institute, which is the nonprofit side of the organization. Um, I was there as an intern while I was finishing my graduate studies, left a little bit to work for um, the Inter-American Development Bank, which is the largest development organization for Latin America. Um, And then at the end of my stint there, I was presented with an opportunity to, to come back, not in this role, in a different role, Um, But but during that interview process, um, the current executive director at the time said, hey, why don't you interview for our presidential appointments initiative? And at first I was like, I've never been a presidential appointee. I don't know what this is like. Um, But when the executive director tells you, would you like to interview for this? I was like, of course, I'd love to interview for this. Um, I was fortunate enough to get the role and started in December of 2020. So right after the elections and was hit with a wave of, we need to staff up the administration. We need to help the Biden-Harris administration get qualified individuals into positions at all levels. And so I went in in that capacity um, and very quickly learned how to navigate that process. Um, and you know I have loved every moment of being at the Victory Institute it gives me the opportunity to talk to such a diverse range of folks from the LGBTQ community folks who you know are just graduating college to folks who have served in prior administrations and want to return and guide them through this process of what it's like to be an appointee and what it's like to serve the Biden Harris administration which you know has just been tremendously exciting for me as as a queer latino to then have immigrated here grown up and now be at this point where I somehow get the opportunity to have a say as to who could potentially be an ambassador to a country. You get to change people. lives. It changed it, my life when I got- It's appointed. a funny way to think about it, right? Because um, wow. I, I don't always think like, oh, getting someone appointed changes lives, but it's the folks that become the appointees that are able to be in these rooms and you know drive forward policy that includes us. We're at the table at all levels now in the administration. I'm very proud of that work. How successful has it been? Like um, regarding numbers? Yeah, so I'd like to think it's successful, um, but I think there's also a, a long way for us to go. Um, you know, we shared numbers with the administration and about 15% of the Biden-Harris appointees are LGBTQ. This is the highest in the history of the United States. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Our goal was ambitiously to hit about seven to 8%, which is proportionate with the US LGBTQ population. Um, we, we hit that, the numbers had changed, we surpassed it, we're at 15. Um, and so now our goal is really to maintain that um, over the course of, of the administration. As you know, people people leave, people change positions um, now that we're entering year three of the administration. Um, and so our goal right now is to maintain that. But in terms of you know representation, um, it, I believe the number that comes from the, from the administration is that 40% or probably a little bit higher than that actually, um, self-identify as people of color, which is tremendous for for this administration. Um, and we've also made some impactful appointments through, you know, more diverse individuals from the LGBTQ community. We have some senior level um, appointments that are transgender, that are people of color. And it's just amazing to see the Biden Harris administration pushing forward in that direction and saying, we really want an administration that looks like America. Um, and we see that at the highest levels, we also see it all the way down to, you know, your confidential assistance, um, across the agencies. It's just amazing. Uh,
0: no one expected Biden to be such a, like, outdo Obama and boy on the LGBT side, boy, has he delivered. Yeah, just in two years, um, we've surpassed (laughs) what Obama did in eight. Wow. Uh. For those seeking an opportunity to work in the Biden
1: administration, where do they have to go? Yes, yeah, they have to-, so have to go to two very important places. Um, one, they do have to uh, visit the White House and formally apply through their system. And I think that's something tremendously important to remind everyone of. Um, the White House is the one that makes the hiring decision. I get to push forward qualified LGBT candidates. But if you're not in the White House system, you know they can't actually hire you. Um, And then I'm more than happy to have conversations with folks and look at resumes. It's what I do um, and advise folks throughout this process. So if they visit the Victory Institute's website, right on the main landing page, there is a link right there to the Presidential Appointments Initiative. So back to your race, Uh, how many doors are you expected to
0: knock? And how, how big is your electorate? Because you said it's the
1: smallest county, but how many people are you talking about? Is this an at-large district or? Yeah, happy to dive into the details there. Um, and actually, I think dispel some some myths about what folks think. Um, so in terms of knocking on doors, it's a lot of doors that we got to hit. It's a lot <laughs> of doors across 26 square miles. It doesn't sound like a lot of space, but we actually have 250,000 people approximately living in Arlington County. And while not everybody shows up to a primary election and not everybody shows up to a general, everybody gets, everybody will be impacted by the policies of, of the county board. And so it's important for me to make sure I have conversations with as many of our neighbors and community members about what the county board does and how it impacts their day-to-day lives. Um, but when it comes to knocking doors, you know, we have a lot of single family homes, we have a lot of accessible multifamily units, but a bulk of the population that lives in Arlington is in these high rises. So it's going to be a combination of knocking doors, digital strategy to make sure we get the message out there and then mail. That's going to be a big part of it, which then becomes an expensive part. I was about Um, to say, how much money do you need to raise? Yeah. So I need to raise as much money as I can. (laughs) I think that's the best way to phrase it. Um, Mail is expensive. And I think I'm a first time candidate. Um, And I'm learning a lot about this process. You know, I want to make sure that I'm paying my staff a living wage and that I can hire staff. I want to make sure that I'm supporting union businesses, minority-owned businesses, independent businesses throughout my campaign. And so in order to make sure I live up to those values, I have to make sure that I'm constantly, you know, hitting fundraising goals in order to prove viability as a candidate, but at the same time, in order to make sure I'm able to live those values day to day. So, you know, and and like I mentioned, I'm learning that mail is is very expensive, um, especially for an area uh, like such as Arlington, where there's a lot of doors that you have to hit. There's a lot of mailboxes that you have to get into. So there isn't a clear number. Um, It's just we have to raise as much as we can for the election. So when you're going up in front of the voters that have not met you, that don't know
0: all the community work that you've done, what's your message to them when their first impression when they... Make sure they hear of you. is that you're a gay Latino
1: running to represent them. Yeah, so I think there's two important points there. One is I'm actually very proud that folks don't know, you know, all of the work that I've done and all of these organizations that I've been a part of. I think it shows that all the leadership roles that I've had, I've made sure that the organization shines and that the work that we're doing is the critical point, that it's not the leader in that case, that it's not an individual in the organization, but that we're really talking about the work. Now as a candidate, I'm realizing that I have to do double duty there and also highlight that. And that's been a, a very difficult part to be honest, Jesse, um, is going from advocate to candidate and talking about the work that I've been doing and putting myself in front of it. It's not something that I, I like to do. Um, I don't like the word politics or politician. I really do like saying this is in service of the people. Um, and so that pivot has been has been the most difficult um, part so far. Um, But when I knock on a door, when I meet with a voter, when I make a phone call to someone, I actually make it very clear that I am both gay and Latino. You may hear it through the sound of my voice. You may have visited the website and you see that I'm, you know, you you hear me mention my husband. My husband introduced me when I first, um, when we made the announcement to run in front of Arlington Democrats, I made the choice that I wanted my husband to introduce me, that we talked about our story and how we got to Arlington and how you know, we eventually decided to call this area home. So to me, it was very important to, to do that. But when I talk to a voter, I also wanna make sure that they know I'm Latino. Um, I have the last name Drongul. It's a very Irish white last name for a Mexican. <laughs> and so I make it clear, I am a Latino. I did immigrate here. You know, I am the first one to graduate high school in my family. And I'm also here to serve everyone in my community. So it that's the shock to them of, of looking at me and saying, oh wait, you're actually from Mexico? And I'm like, yes. Yes, I am. And I immigrated here and did the whole thing. So it's kind of on the other side of I'm explicitly trying to make sure that folks know this and know that I'm finding the, the package that they're getting. Exactly. That they're going to get someone who understands more and has a more nuanced background and approach than, you know, a typical candidate that you may be seeing. Well, Jonathan, I wish you the
0: best of luck. If people want to reach out and get to know you, do you have an email where they can
1: reach you? Yeah. So the best way to reach me right now is you can go and email me at info, I-N-F-O at jonathandrongle.com.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I wish you the best of luck. I keep fighting for the community. You're doing such a great job. I really love how for these past couple of years, I've, I've seen how elected officials reach out to you and they engage you. And and then. I think it's so important that someone with your background of being an immigrant, Latino, gay, has this power to be an influencer to all these elected officials that I see that you interact with on a regular basis and they seek your opinion and you're, you're able to put our issues
1: in the forefront. And I deeply appreciate that. Thank you, Jesse. And that's really what, You know i'm trying to do for everyone here in arlington this race isn't about me it isn't for my ego my career trajectory it's never been about me it's really for for our community to have someone they can go to on the county board and reach out via email reach out via text or phone call and be accessible to them and when they have an issue about how to open a small business or how to ensure that their housing is affordable or that they have access to reliable transportation, that they have someone on the county board they can count on. So I wanna be that kind of conduit to their government. And so I'm excited to be in this race um, and excited to, to continue putting up a good fight for everyone. Before we sign off, when's the primary and when's the election? Yes, so right now the big focus is the primary. Um, and that is set for June 20th of this year. Um, Fingers crossed, everything goes well there and I get the nomination and then we're moving forward to the general in November. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you, Jesse.